This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to The Blank Podcast, the podcast where we delve into those difficult moments with some well-known guests. I'm Giles Pay Phillips, and with me today, as ever, is the incredible Jim Daly. Still here. You can't get rid of me. No. I wouldn't want to, mate. Thanks, man. Uh, I feel, we, we've done so many of these now. Yes. Um, I feel like we're, we're a proper little team on this now, aren't we? Like we can't, we, we will not be broken up. No, no. one will come between us. We are a proper <laughs> little unit on this. Well, it's true. I don't think, yeah, yeah. I don't think either of us could do this pod without the other. No, no, not at all. No, it's, um, well, it's a proper collaboration and the best yeah. collaborations are the ones that work well. And I believe this one one does. And do you know what? I think also that, um, it's really nice feeling when you meet like-minded pe- people, isn't it? I think, you know, when Absolutely. you can get on with and. And that's the thing. I think we could, that's the. I guess the basis of great, great collaboration is that um, mutual. <laughs> well, we did, didn't we? When we met for the first time to talk about yeah. this, we instant. We, we'd been chatting on Twitter. We instantly clicked, and we sort mm. of knew, oh, this is gonna. Whatever this thing is we're working on, this is gonna work because we get on so well. We're just very similar people, aren't we? I mean, we both support Crystal Palace, which makes us legends mm. before we've even started collaborating, course, obviously. Yeah, I think a lot of our listeners may disagree with that. But, <laughs> but also, <back> <laughs> uh, we're <laughs> you're wrong. They're the greatest team in the world. Um, the guests that we get on, and today we've got Maddie Arnholt, who was fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing. I think we, you know straight away, our, 
uh, we've got a lot of common ground here. We're quite similar, and you know, then the conversation is going to be very easy. And we're very lucky that each week we have that guests that were just yeah. And Maddie's just a brilliant person. I mean, I've got to know Maddie quite well over the last sort of year or so. You know, we've become quite good friends, and yeah, we you know often WhatsApping each other and not given you know maddie's been writing a book so i've been trying to help her encourage her with that and uh yeah she's been sort of reaching out for advice and things and um likewise i'm often asking her for advice on on all, all sorts of things as well so yeah and she's just a brilliant person and she's obviously moved near me as well she's just moved to brighton so we're gonna hopefully hang out a bit more as well so um she's just a great bundle of joy to be around yeah and a very talented person you know very prolific performer and she talks a lot about her uh, most recent show which obviously uh lockdown sort of put put the halters on a little bit as it has with all comedians uh writing shows and who we're gonna be i mean she would have been in edinburgh right now um as we're recording this at the start of august um so but she talks very openly about that and and the inspiration for that show um she's a, she's a very uh, easy person to talk to, but the sort of person that when you're talking to her, you've, I felt really just like, I felt relaxed and I felt she's very entertaining and just, it was a very easy talk. But at the same time, she was talking about quite tough subjects. I think that's a really difficult skill to do that. So I'm actually really keen to see the show she's talking about because she's delving into really quite tough subjects, but to do it in an entertaining way. Believe me, Giles, as someone who's trying to get by in this industry and is not doing as as well as I should, um, it's a very, very difficult skill to talk about difficult subjects and make it funny and make it entertaining. It's, It's not something everyone can do, and clearly Maddie's very good at that. Yeah, and I think it was interesting what she was saying about like going in and she'd obviously worked with a director on that particular show and how they'd sort of said you know write it as a ted talk and then find the funny a a best a bet later on i suppose you know you look for the funny a bit later but make it and it goes back to some of the our previous pods you know i mean i I, it still resonates with me that thing that um reg d hunter had said to you about be interesting first and then and then comedy comes as well then you know i think that's that's really important you know if you're gonna you know, talk to a, a lot of people at once and try and resonate with them, make it interesting. And I think that's what, you know, Maddie's done something that's going to relate to a lot of people. It's funny how often that comes up on the podcast, actually, mm. that that writing process. Um, and it's very true, but it's interesting to hear so many successful people um, say that as well. So, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I think we should I think we should crack on with, with Maddie's episode where we do start. I've got a tweet. First. I was about to say, I've got a tweet as well. But um, yeah. speaking of interesting people saying nice things, um, you do your tweet and I'll see if it's the same one that I've got. And if not, I'll find another one. Oh, this is like kind of tweet <laughs> jeopardy or something. <laughs> yeah. It's like a Russian roulette of tweets. <laughs> now I've got one here from Shazia. And Shazia says, I'm not a great podcast listener until... I got introduced to Blank Pod. Real conversations about real topics. I'm now listening to my second cast with Dawn French. Nutella in coffee. Oh, and she's put a little sick emoji. So clearly that hasn't gone down well with Shazia. (laughs) (laughs) I was all up for that. Yeah, same. You can't please everyone, you know, and that's just... You know, when you're making when you're making bold out there decisions like Dawn was with the Teller and Coffee, you're not going to please everyone. But I'm delighted that Shazia is on board with the podcasts. Yeah, no, we appreciate that, and that's very nice. Nice to have you as another listener. Uh, shall we get into this week's episode? This is uh, the brilliant Maddie Arnholt talking about life on the south coast 
on the Blank Podcast. How how's how are you finding Brighton? I mean, you've only been there what a week or so now. Yeah, Brighton. When when I first came to Brighton, I was like, "What have I done? What? Why am I? Why have I done this?" Because I kind I was in this flat with in this flat, like top floor flat in London, and I've been in London fourteen years, and um, was like you know living with living with a flatmate, but paying obviously as everyone is extortionate amount of money, and. I was just like, my, and some people I think dealt with lockdown when they were like, oh God, I need other people around me all the time. Whereas I was like, I need some bloody space. I need to be by myself. And and then our contract was coming up to an end anyway. And I kind of just had, a friend of mine was like, why don't you just move down to the sea just for six months, just to see like what it's like. And you're doing a book and you you could just use it as like we're calling it a 6 month soul staycation <laughs> which is probably the most wanky thing that's ever come out of my mouth but she was like do 6 months of meditation therapy go do some write a book be by the sea and i was like that sounds nice <laughs> so exactly so when i but then when i first came i was like oh god this is terrifying why have i done this and I think I said to you, Joe, I was like, oh, I'm trying to be okay with it, but it's really lonely. And and actually now after, I mean, it's only been a week, but I'm finally, I think, settling. I take, it takes me a long time to settle. Yeah. Well, it's a big thing. And you've been in, like you say, you've been in one place for 14 years. That is a long time. It's a big chunk of your life. Yeah. And then moving to somewhere new and having to make new connections and stuff yeah it's a big thing big thing so yeah. I think don't be hard on yourself is what I'm trying to say no and I had like some friends come from London this weekend and I think actually weirdly what's going to happen is I'm going to have more of a social life being here because everyone wants to go to Brighton everyone wants to go to Brighton <laughs> everyone's like oh man I've had so many messages from like I mean I've got stay big, over yeah I've got a big family anyway I've got 46 first cousins but Jesus met- Christ, yeah. Maddie. I think we've had this conversation before. That is a lot. <laughs> we've got a massive family. So I've had messages from cousins being that I'm like, are we are we related? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we I mean to be honest, <laughs> anyone could just say that to me and I'd be like, oh, okay. Um so that's I think that's gonna be a really nice thing where actually whereas before in London I'd be like, I've got too much work on or I might come yeah. out for this night and then go back. Now it's like, oh, come down for the weekend, let's spend some really nice time together and go for walks and go to the beach um so i'm looking forward to that and then who knows what's going to happen i'm trying to just do the thing that we're all trying to do which is just to be a bit present Mm. you know i really struggle with that i'm consistently thinking about what the future is and what i need to do and whatever and i think this is going to be a kind of enforced like be in the now (laughs) period of my life um, which is a good thing, which is a great thing. People that live at the coast seem to be a lot more chilled about life. That I don't live by the coast. So that's a generalisation that I've sort of come to. Is that? I mean, Josh, yeah. you've been here longer. 42 years I've lived by the coast. Um, yeah, I'm pretty chilled. <laughs> There's something amazing about the, about, the sea, about the sea. I don't know what it is. I think, I don't know, maybe it's like seeing a border to the country almost like this is and then there's this sort of mm. vast expanse um b- 
being in, I mean, being out in nature, I mean, I probably spend more time outside, maybe, because I'm, you know, in good and bad weathers. I mean, like the coast is just as amazing when it's the weather's terrible, um, being in the elements. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a very, it's a more quieter, um, it's more quieter kind of time of life, I think, down in on the south coast. I mean, Brighton's obviously a bit busier, but where I live, I mean, it's quite a sleepy little town. So people go about their business at a much slower pace. Yeah, so which I've never really helps. No- I've noticed that. And actually, I think that was one of the main things that really scared me. <laughs> oh, really? really? Yeah. Um, but then, because, weirdly, so I had this thing. I don't think you'll listen, so this is fine. I had this thing where... <laughs> I don't know if I should say this. I've already started. I came, when, I came, when I came to Brighton, I, I'm single. And when I came to Brighton, I was like, let me just get on a dating app and just see the quality of men. (laughs) (laughs) As one of my main stipulations to move. And then I I matched with this one guy and he was in Brighton. I was like, great. And then when I went back up to London, he's like, do you want to meet up in London? So I was like, yeah, absolutely. Got on really well, had some dates. And I was like, so how come you're up in London? And he's like, oh, I've just moved here. (laughs) I was like, Couldn't wait to get out of Brighton. (laughs) But obviously by this point, I'd signed a contract and we were like, uh, so then we had this sort of weird, I think lockdown has just made people, in terms of dating, lockdown Mm. has been weird. Like it's such a bad time to date because everyone is terrified. So you either get people being like, no, I don't want to date ever again. No, 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 I don't want to date. I'm absolutely fine. Or you get people like, yeah, so literally let's plan the next years (laughs) of our lives. When, what should we do wedding dates now? Or like... We, like we were, like I've got friends that are Pinteresting their wedding and they're single. <laughs> wow! I'm like, what are you? <laughs> when I say friends, I mean me. But when you, <laughs> so anyway, so then I met here up with him. We had an amazing time, and then he came down to visit me in Brighton, and he's got the Brighton mentality, and I've got the London mentality, and the London mentality is let's plan. I'm a planner. I love to plan. Like I love planning, and he doesn't plan. And for me, that's really jarring. And I know that I should get used to that and be like, oh, let's just go with the flow and see what happens. But I guess because my career is so... Like, I'm meant to be in London tomorrow, I think. Well, I am filming an um, Emily Atac show for ITV. I haven't had call times. I don't know where I'm going. And it's just Uh... like this. And so I think because my career is like that all the time... It means that for my social life, I like to be able to go, okay, cool. So in two weeks time, we're going to do this. But then there's all these other bloody dating rules that I didn't even know about, which is like, no, you can't do that when you start dating someone. You have to just, you have to be seen as like busy. And then, <laughs> and then they need to approach you and suggest a date. And then you're like, mm, maybe. But I'm like, well, that doesn't make any no. sense at all, does it? Because then I will be busy. I remember anyway, when I was single, there were so many know. rules, so many dating rules about what you can. Oh, you, after a date, you shouldn't text again for another two days or something because that shows two. Ca- I know. Oh, and I mean, then if sake. you text too early. And, so tedious. Oh, so, actually, with my wife, I actually then texted as soon as I got home. I was like, can I see you tomorrow? And then we just... And, yeah, nice. Yeah, and because and as both, you should. Both liked it. So, it was, yeah, it was a weird time. Yeah. I mean, as you should. I mean, I'm... D- there's like a whole nother side of this. Oh my God, then postman's come down the steps. Let's just see if he's going to ring my doorbell. No, he's not. So there, there's a whole nother side. 
um, there's a whole another side as well to this, which is which I'm doing the book about, which is about psychopaths <laughs> and about narcissistic yeah, personality. Yeah. Yeah, because. Well, we we you've got, you were to tell me that all about this anyway, so why we might as well do it in the public forum? <laughs> might as well do it in the public forum. Um, <laughs> so my show right before lockdown was called How to Train Your Psychopath, and I'd done. I've been working on this for years, and we ju- I just started doing the work in progresses and stuff, and it was going really well, and um, we were going to do a podcast series and a um, just all sorts of things. We were going to film a, a panel show, and it's about essentially it's about the empath to psychopath sex scale and about how I fell into the trap of control, the cycle of controlling relationships, basically. And understanding terms like gaslighting and breadcrumbing and love bombing. and Okay, I know the first one. Okay, (laughs) well, let's go take those one at a time. I know what gaslighting is. Breadcrumbing, what's breadcrumbing? Right, so breadcrumbing is when, if you're dating someone and they will consistently fail on their promises, but say things like, oh, we should go on holiday in a couple of weeks. Or, um, you know, oh, my mum, I've been talking to her about you. She really wants to meet you. Um, we'll, do, we'll do that in like m- next month or something. Or, um, oh, my mate's got this wedding at the end of the year. We should, we should go to that. Yeah, so okay. like dropping these emotional breadcrumbs so that you follow on this trail thinking it's going to be something, getting completely led on. And then when yeah. it does come to a crashing halt, you're like, I'm yeah. so confused because I thought we had all this stuff planned. Um, that's breadcrumbing. Okay. Love bombing is at the start of a relationship when, and I've had this happen to me before, where on like the first or second date, they'll be like, you are incredible. You are everything I've been looking for. You, I can see you as my Ooh. wife. I, you, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a man buy me a diamond ring wow. after three weeks. Wow. And at the time I was so naive on the whole thing. I was like, I, gu- <laughs> I guess, yes. I, I mean, I, I don't <laughs> I don't. I I think so. Like, um, and the thing. Well, but proposing or just like no, was, this is a gift. It was like, I'm gonna give you this ring for that finger. I'm not saying anything. Just gonna give you that ring. So then I'm like, uh, and then I wear it on this. That's that's, that's, that's really my ring. Weird. So are we? Well, no, I'm not saying that. So and then I'm like, it's up to the? you. But yeah, that's like him. Sort of, that's like him like reserving you. Oh, no, exactly. Like I've yeah. just put a reserve, oh, reserve Christ, tag yeah. on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, yeah. oh God, it's just, it's meant that I have to unpick my whole way of thinking that I've formulated for, you know, however many years of de- of dating that I've had and realise that like, God, we are all prone. It, whether you're married or single or dating, we are all prone to a certain set of behaviours that we've normalised and some of them are not, but and and that's kind of and that works for some people he does this she does that he does this he does whatever whatever you're in but for me I will have a thing of like because I I love love I mean I love it and for me and I I say this in the book it's not Disney it's destiny so I've always been like that I'm not like fairy tale about it I'm like no that's just the way it'll go like there's this program on Netflix right now could say I do absolutely crying my eyes out, sobbing from start to finish, 45 <laughs> minutes of crying. I love it. But also it means that I put myself in this like really vulnerable position when I'm dating, where um, the, I will kind of, without even knowing it sometimes, 
alter my behavior as is kind of right you do alter your behavior a bit to kind of mirror that other person but i will just it's slightly codependent i guess i would just give and give and give and then always be on the back foot you know always be like trying to catch up and in a way it's kind of not fair on the person that you're doing that to because they then feel like shit like this is so much for me to live up to well she's obviously happy doing all this kind of stuff so I'm just gonna let her um but yes so it's a book essentially it's become a book about that it's about effectively how to end the cycle of controlling relationships but Mm. also to be aware of how many psychopaths and narcissists are in our daily lives right now and how to deal with them and also how to know where we are on that scale. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's been a lot. And I think what I'm finding is because I've been like researching this and studying this for so long, I can't help but go and like date people and be like, right, so you are about six. <laughs> Check you know, you're seven, yeah. You're about seven, okay. All right. Well, I would think that's a little narcissistic what you've just done there. But... <laughs> Add that to my spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's a really strange, it's just a strange time anyway to try and be dating. But when you add that into the mix. <laughs> what was the catalyst for this, though, Maddie? Um, the catalyst was the truth of being in these controlling relationships and having one in particular but also just with each one that happened them being more and more narcissistic and more and basically being more vitriolic I'd say is the word really and also not me never taking the time between relationships like I was I was in a four-year relationship and then I had three days break and then I was in a four-day relationship and I had like a week break then I was in a four and a half year relationship and I was like stop and I took like 12 um, days and I went into my my next one and I was like this is what am I doing and then and I just so I never took that time I just was never single um, because I was like yeah I'm a relationship person which I think is bullshit anyway Mm. to say that Um, and dating now is just such a minefield it's just you know, it's always been tricky, but in the age of internet dating, my God. Yeah, I mean, where do you start? Um, well, I think for a start, if like the thing at the moment, it, I think for my main thing at the minute is to, it <laughs> sounds awful, but I've never done this and actually it's a, it's quite a good thing to do. But as, a, as somebody who is single and they're dating, don't just date that one person and like, go that per because I think have a thing where I'll put my date up on a pedestal and I'll be like god they're incredible and it's also to do with self-worth as well if you don't value yourself or think that you're good enough which we all struggle with then you are going to attract that person who brings those qualities out in you you are not if you don't feel good enough and you don't feel valuable you are not going to attract a person who makes you feel you are everything and you are whatever. You've got to be that person first and then you find your match. So I would say that's where you start before even going on those dates. You start there. Yeah. And you need that time on your own to sometimes Mm. find, to Mm realise that stuff, don't you? I've got friends, several friends who go from relationship to relationship. Mm. Um, And I don't know if it's, I found that with guys as well. Like, there's a lot of guys that find it very difficult. Friends that have guys that find it very difficult to be alone, and have gone from, yeah, one in particular has been married several times, and um, yeah, he's sort of looking for wife number 
Is he? So what, have you got his number there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's why I get to ask us. (laughs) He's a really lovely guy as well. Um, But yeah, I think it's just that not wanting to be alone thing as well, which is Mm. difficult. Um, it's hard though isn't it because we're fed so many messages about what relationships should be and what they should look like and what you should do in it in various sort of tv and film and stuff like that and invariably every relationship is different from person to person and relationship relationship and there isn't there isn't really a blueprint for it but i think we're just there's a lot of expectation on all of us to be a certain way there is but there's this and there's this thing that we haven't really we sort of just started talking about which is this the, the thing that I talk about in the book, which is emotional abuse and that being a form of domestic abuse. So this coercive control. And when you are in a relationship that is deemed coercive control, that it takes years to unpick this. You know, you, you don't just, if you're lucky enough to be able to escape that relationship, you don't just come out and have a year or two break and you're like, okay, cool, I feel wicked now. There is so much stuff that's been, because it's, it's, manipulation is complete like basically it's a complete head fuck so it's it's literally altered your brain so um i mean that is essentially what gaslighting is you know but it's there's more than than it than gaslighting but um and and what i'm trying to start a conversation of is like understanding those red flags at at the beginning and having an awareness at the beginning of what psychopathic traits are and that a psychopath is not just a serial killer like a psychopath is more likely to be a ceo than a serial killer yeah that's the stats yeah you know so um we've got one in the white house haven't we yeah Yeah. they're everywhere yeah but also not just world leaders like they are they're but there's and there's all sorts of different if you even if they're not psychopaths they could be covert or like all different types of narcissists or vulnerable narcissists or um, whose main aim is to basically sap the life out of other people to build themselves up. And if you, like me, are an empath and perhaps even co- codependent, you're much more vulnerable to that. Everyone is vulnerable to a psychopath, but you are much more vulnerable because mm. the. I know that you do a podcast on this, but the the um, the relationship between a psychopath and a and a codependent is like so darkly symbiotic they feed off each other. So it's not like an oppressed figure here and then a person who's just like, you know, right at the top here. It doesn't work like yeah. that. The two need each other. Mm. So um, Yeah, I think when we talk to Professor David mm. Wilson, who yeah. deals a lot with psychopaths, I mean, mm. on a daily basis, yeah, he said it's it, it, they're very charming psychopaths. You yeah. know, they're um, uh, sometimes, but they're not all like, you know, Hannibal Lecter. No. They're often quite, you know, they often have, you know underlying other relationship issues and stuff which you know obviously you, you you've talked about with the things so mm. you you've experienced you've all experienced all these things like gaslighting and breadcrumbing and yeah 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 like. so for for many years um i did it's my it's a personal story of it and and so n- we were talking about like dating now but i think as well on top of that is i'm s- i didn't trust men for a long time i don't know that i still do i don't know that i do 100 percent now to be honest and so not only are you dealing with like the pre-existing difficulties of dating and whatever, but when you load onto that, the coming out of these coercive control relationships, and you're also like 
hyper aware of like I do not want to fall back into them mm-hmm. and maybe this person is doing this or may am I reading too much into it and then you start second guessing yourself and whatever um it's difficult but um I do think it is I think for me I I had wanted to to do this as a show and, and a whatever for a long time and then I was like yeah I just I don't feel not only do I not feel ready I just don't feel like I was having massive imposter syndrome. I was like, well, hold on, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not or whatever. And um and in my book I say, and in my show I say, like I'm not a psychologist and I'm not claiming to be a psychologist. I'm not a doctor, I'm not claiming to be a doctor. But what I am is someone who's gone through, you know, a hell, a basically a decade of this. So right. I will talk from personal experience about not I will speak, I will back it with science, but I will also talk about like the way I'm accessing this is about the feelings that you have as someone on the receiving end of that. Because I know that when I have done those shows, men and women, it's a gendered crime, but and predominantly it's women who are victims, but there are male victims, of course, will come forward to me. I'll have like six or seven people that approach me after shows and be like, yeah, so I've just been through this or yeah. I know someone who's been through this or I'm I'm in this thing with this person right now and they've just done this and and I had part I was partnered I am partnered with Women's Aid so that's been really good because then I can be like yeah just go over there speak to them because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not taking this on yeah. um but yeah it's I mean I really I'm so passionate about you know spreading a message of education I guess on these because the these is not just it's not just a bad date and it's not just a bit of a dickhead yeah these are people that take over your life, you know. This, these are people who put me out of work. Yeah. I think I think it's important, actually, you're saying you're, you're claiming not to be a doctor. It's important, actually, that performers like you are actually talking about this because I think audiences find it easier to relate to a performer who can mm. uh, explain it better, explain it through jokes, explain it through stories. Mm-hmm. And I think that connects better with an audience. Uh, so it's actually important that people like you are doing this. Um, I'm writing my first show about being a dad. Not as important. You're talking about actual no, important it's issues. Important. Uh, my main theme of my, my show is being a dad is hard. Hmm. Your show has got actual meaning behind it. But also, no, no. <laughs> but also, as you were talking, you guys were talking earlier about this. I was thinking as well, or realizing that it's we're not. It's not just relationships where this kind of thing can happen, or not just sexual relationships. It can be work relationships. You can be working for a boss mm-hmm. who's a psychopath, and you're having the same experience, you know, mm-hmm. with someone who's got that power over you, that work power. Or it could be, I don't know, someone you know from your football team or something. These relationships aren't necessarily just dating wise. They can be everywhere. Mm. Oh yeah, they are. And like my my book and my show follow this arc of basically going, this is where I was. This is when I realized there was an issue. This is how I started to unpick that issue. And then I, so I go through the whole spectrum of like dating and all of that. And then I talk about, because it's also in family dynamics as well. Yes. You can have sociopathic f- um, figures within a family dynamic. And I have like I, I've just just writing this book in a bit this bit in the book at the moment which I, I find really interesting which is about I've got a massive bit on codependency so later because that affects jobs and everything as well and codependency being being things like fear of being alone um needing constant validation and praise off and I would argue there are as performers we're all a little codependent yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's nothing necessarily wrong with it but um I think that when you are doing acts of service i.e like cooking cleaning just domestic whatever purely for the fact that you want to do it because you want praise and you need validation and love 
And then when you inevitably do not get that, because, you know, not every single person is going to be like, have you feng shui the living room? That is incredible. <laughs> like, don't <laughs> think like that. Then you get pissed yeah. off. And then it, and then this cycle of worthlessness starts. And so when you apply that to a job dynamic and you're a codependent in a job dynamic and you consistently need like gold stars and lollipops off your boss and then inevitably you don't get it, then you're like, well, fuck you. I'm not going to do my work then. Mm. <laughs> you know, it can be really damaging. Mm. Um, so the whole book, essentially, if I could sum it up, is about awareness. Yeah. And it's not, it's not victim blaming. It's not psychopath blaming even. It's about awareness. But that's really hard. In a, you're so right about family situation. I hadn't thought of that. But if you've grown mm. up in a family situation where there might be someone with sociopathic tendencies, that's very different to, say, walking into a job and you realise after six months, oh, shit, my boss is a psychopath. If you've grown up with that, that's your everything. Mm. So ha- mm. that's your being. So it's very difficult then to unpick what is your only sort of knowledge of living, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And and there's also like, this, there's another layer on top of that, which is in, you can actually have like, gen, there's a belief system which is about genetic or inherited codependency. So even if in your family dynamic, you, and often codependency comes from things like, um, you know, drug, being a care of a drug addict or something like that, of course. But, but sometimes it can be like, if, if your grandfather was sociopathic or mistreated your grandmother or something, and then, or even like, it could be even further than that. You can inherit codependent traits or the traits or even narcissistic traits without even realizing it, which is what I think happened to me. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah. And and have you, you've looked back through your family mm, history? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know exactly where it's come from. And I think, again, it's not a finger pointing thing where I go, this person was narcissistic and this person's codependent. Mm -hmm. That's the way I am. But what I struggled, when I first went to therapy, when I, I didn't want to go to therapy because I was completely, I was like this like broken version of myself. And I didn't want to go to therapy because I was like, this is how, when I think about it now, I'm like, Jesus Christ, buddy. I, I didn't want to go because I was like, there's people more deserving than me. That's the state of mind I was in. I was like, I don't deserve therapy, which is obviously bullshit, because there's people who I'm going to be taking up time of people who need it more than me. And also, I had a really nice upbringing. I was really blessed with my childhood. So I, I don't know why I got myself in this situation. That was my, and that is often yeah. the mindset of, of people, I'm not going to use the word victim, but the people who've been through coercive control um, is that they're like, well, I should have seen it coming or God, when I look back now, it was just so obvious, but it's not obvious. It's never obvious. Um, So yeah, it's just, it's like a complete quagmire to like sift through all of this stuff. But therapy helped. Yeah, and I think it's a continuing thing though. I think for me, like I said, I love... I love I love a list. God, <laughs> yeah, I love a list. And so, <laughs> so for me, I went to I went to therapy. I did like eight weeks of therapy, and I was like, tick, right? I am healed. Okay, yeah. do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but of course, was it sorry? Was it talk therapy? It was talking therapy, yeah. and then um, I'm actually just about to start another another lot of of therapy. Just being down here, I think. Oh, let's just, and that's going to be cognitive behavioural mm-hmm. therapy. Yeah, yeah, CBT is great. Yeah, um, because I think that we should all like. You wouldn't walk around with a broken leg, yeah, exactly. would you? So exactly. you, if you've got, and also you don't. 
there's this sort of like weird thinking that you're like, well, I'll wait for the trauma to happen. And then when the trauma happens, then I'll get therapy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, that's a bollocks way to think really. I mean, it's, you've got, yeah. If you're in the mindset where you think like, I want to do it, then you have to go and do it. I think. And just do it. And even if like, I just, I always think of it as a way, like it's just someone who's paid to talk mm-hmm. to you. Like what? It's wicked, mate. You have you have to listen to me. Good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Finally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and I'm, and I'm I'm looking forward to that of like going back in. But I think as a as somebody who has come out of these kind of very very toxic relationships to try and put not put yourself back together because I am together, but mm. it's like I I'm, I think I've said this to you, Giles, before. But like I one of the worst phrases in dating or love or relationships or whatever is he's my better half or she's my better half. I yeah, hate yeah. that. It is bullshit yeah. because why are you half? You, you're whole and you're two holes that come yeah. together. Um, and I think, or yeah, yeah, all of that, that kind of like thinking of he completes me or, you know, whatever. And I know it's just a turn of phrase, but I'm like, damn, sis, you need to be complete. And then, <laughs> and then look, and even if like, I'm 32, and I remember being 30 and being like, oh, God, oh, my God, I need to get married. I need to have a baby. Oh, Jesus Christ. And, and I, I want that. I want to get married and I want to have kids at some point. But, I mean, listen, one of my aunties, one of the many, she had her first child at 46. Wow. What I'm saying Fair is. That's impressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, they prefer not to do that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I would also prefer to make some money and buy a house. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, and find the the right person. Yeah. Find the right person and not yeah. like and not settle. I think there's just such a weird thing, especially in London, of like it's so fast paced that you sort of and for me as well, wanting to like wanting so desperately after I'd come out of this relationship and I'd had the therapy to be like, Okay, now I'm ready. Now I've done the work. Now I'm really ready to find someone. But you're not. And every time you go back through, even if you've been dating for like three months mm. and then you have that breakup or it just doesn't work, you're like, God, it's just, I can't do this anymore. And of course you can. Um, so yeah, so it's, be, it's been such a journey. And I think at the end of my book, I talk about, I do talk about, essentially I say like, <laughs> the all, you, could, you could argue that all of the world's problems are down and like, if this world blows itself up, it will be because of two psychopathic infants having a little tantrum yeah, with each yeah. other. And so it is all of our problems really are rooted in, in yeah. psychopathy, in yeah. psychopaths. And so the kind of end of my thing is, how do you train your psychopath? You, you friggin' don't. You don't. <laughs> you leave and you work on yourself. Okay, do you avoid them? Is that the point? Avoid yeah, but obviously... Yeah, and obviously sometimes it's not that easy. And or no. sometimes you have... I had people in my show who um, I had all sorts of people, but I had this woman who DM'd me on on Instagram after, and she said like, "I think I'm in it now, but we've been together for six years, and I don't think she says I think her words were something like, "I don't think I'm going to be able to find anyone else, and especially no one like him." And you see, I remember that being said yeah. to me, "You will never find anyone like me," and me being like, "That's the worst thing in the world." But now I'm like. Thank yeah, God for exactly. that. Like, I don't want to ever find anyone like you. And so I really wanted to message her back. And I have to be careful because I wanted to message her back and be like, good. Yeah. Do you honestly want to find someone else like him? Like, 
but to to someone who's in that like interdependent relationship yeah, the thought yeah. of being because it's not just emotional control it's financial c- control it's sexual control it's all of those like it you're it you're like it's like you're in their web that's how i describe it in my book um and you're you're fucked like your head is fucked they they call it being in a tumble dryer when you argue with these people because you they spin points so quickly and you're exhausted by it and they remember shit that you are not really sure that that happened but vaguely you remember it and they are so sure about it and they spin you and twist you and turn you so you come out exhausted eventually probably apologizing for something you have not done mm-hmm. and that's how it kind of goes on um yeah i think in my my show i describe it as like it's like buying a being in a relationship with like a knockoff memory foam mattress. Um, they remember everything and you get no sleep. <laughs> That's brilliant, yeah. Um, so yeah, so but but you know, I'm in a really happy place and I think I'm I'm happy that I can, you know, who knows, Giles, if we can get this book deal off the ground. But <laughs> You will, you will. Yeah. Um so yeah, so so who knows what's going to happen, but I'm excited for, you know, the potential series and to get the show back up, up you know, probably 2021 mm. now. You want to, you're going to take it back up to Edinburgh, are you? the plan don't it's sort of the plan i mean i was meant to be at underbelly like right Mm. now actually um and i think that i mean i would never i wouldn't say that edinburgh is my favorite place in the world not the location Mm. i mean the fringe yeah um i mean it would have been my fifth one woman show it's just takes everything out of you and it's just it's so demanding having said that this was my favorite show that i've ever done it felt like i actually not necessarily just because it had a message, but because it was me in a show. And I did a, I did about six years of character comedy and I did a show on Radio 4 where I was a character and I filmed loads of stuff where I was a character, but it felt like I was just avoiding what I had to say because I didn't trust my own voice. And I think we well, all was, do that. Yeah, well, I was going to say, it feels like you maybe you found your voice with yeah. this, this show, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've dealt with quite a lot of dickheads, as you do, um, I mean, I've dealt with some awful people when I've been doing this show because you do do that because you are putting yourself out there and calling people's uh, like predominantly men's behaviour out. But I do it obviously in a jokey way. I even like have a jokey thing where I have a, I make someone my in-house psychopath and I train him throughout the course of the show. Um, and like, unfortunately, I realised quite quickly that the guy that's heckling you from the back should not be your psychopath because he probably is on that scale. <laughs> which is what I did and he really didn't like it and you know we ended up having like this like argument oh, like, on the stage oh God. wow yeah I had some I know um this is a, this was just a point that actually just made me say this is quite dark but I had a just before God rest their soul but just before she you know passed Caroline Flack there was a point in my show where this guy just kept calling out yeah but what about women what about the women like that and I get it because I may, I think I say very early on, this is not a man bashing show. You manage to do that for yourselves. You don't need me to do that. <laughs> like I may, and I make a joke and this guy was calling out 
what about Caroline Flack? What about Caroline Flack? And I was um, doing some women. She was doing some stuff with Women's Aid at the time. And I, it was, you should never rise to a heckler, right? Ever. You should just, you just let it go. But there was something about this guy that just made me furious. Mm. And so I called him out on it. And I was like, what do you mean? What, why are you shouting? What do you mean? And he said, oh, well, she, she did this and, and, um, you know, she was in, she was uh, um, beating up her husband, which of course, or her, you know, her partner, which of course none of this was what happened at all. And um, and then it was a few weeks after that that she did take her own life. And it just hit, I mean, it hit everyone, but it really, I just thought, my God, you know, this is highlighting right here the, because um, of course there were other issues as well, but like, I don't really want to go into her story too much because I'm sure we know it, but you know, the, the kind of centralized belief that, of of control of taking someone else's power that anyone has the right to do that mm-hmm. whether that be someone on um in the audience calling at me out for something or you know so i think you have to i have to be very careful with this show that i am not taking i am not trying to take away whether it's a psychopath or not yeah. anyone's power is not what i'm doing i am just laying it out for people to see and basically i said to myself what was the show that I wish I'd seen seven years ago? If I, I wish I'd gone to Edinburgh and seen this and I would have sat there crying my eyes out going, holy shit. Well, God, that's what this is. And actually, and I can't do that, obviously, but what I can do is I can, and I'm not trying to make myself like the saint of saving relationships, but at least I can try and get through to some people who will, and just every time I spoke about this show, someone yeah. would be like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think I'm in that now. Mm. Or, yeah, my brother's in that. Or, yeah, my sister's in it now. It's awful. We can't get her out. Or, like, my auntie, or I haven't spoken to my uncle in 10 years because he's just in this very controlling marriage. It's everywhere. Well, you will. With a show like that, you will. Um, that You will connect to people. But you're right, with subject mm, matter like that, yeah. you might get dickheads like that in the audience. And I and it's it's almost difficult to stop them and it's really difficult to understand where they're coming from and why they're reacting like that. But mm. it's on them. It's not on you for putting this message out there and talking about it. Yeah. Mm. It's on them for their reaction. Yeah, yeah. So it's really, really difficult. But it, you will, I mean, you'll be helping so many people, surely. And you'll be connecting to so many people that will relate to it. Yeah. And like you said before, I think the, the, the art form of this is comedy, very much comedy. Mm. And I think that's yeah. how you get people. Um, because it's not, there's one bit in my show where I sort of do um, uh, like a, a bit where I really talk about what, what it feels like, um, as um, Rosie Duffield did, Labour MP in, in, in Parliament with that incredible um, speech that she did. And there's a sort of similar moment there for me, but it's not it's not a show. <laughs> I remember this is the first show I, I did and I was, I was working with, or I am working with Ben Mallaby, who's an incredible BAFTA award um winning nominated I think he is a director he's incredible and um he he said to me like the way that you do this show is that you write it like a TED mm. talk first and um and then you and then you perform the TED talk and that was one of the most terrifying things I've ever done because people it was very early on and people came to my show thinking that oh <laughs> this is going to be a barrel of laughs 
And I was like, so here, we talk about the psychopath's brain and uh, they have a shrimp and amygdala. And what that means is, and then people just being like, what? And then very slowly you yeah. start weaving in the jokes and you find, because I remember looking at that on paper, 36 pages and being like, mm-hmm. that's not funny. And there's no way I can make that funny. And what you, and you, you pick, picked it out. What makes it funny is the anecdote stuff where some of them are like so close to the bone that you're like, whoa, I mean, that's nuts. But obviously you spin them. Um, yeah. Hannah Gadsby and Nanette, who, you yeah. know, similar sort of a vibe there where, you know, it's just easy anecdote stuff that you don't realise until exactly. you finish that you're like, oh my God. Audiences yeah. love shows like that where they've realised they've really enjoyed it and at the end they're like, oh, fuck. I've just had to think about yeah. something. And they haven't really had to try, and it's just happened. That those are the those are the best shows, and it sounds like you've got that going on as well. Yeah, and I think I think comedy's best when it's challenging people. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think yeah, you know, going back to whoever, um, lots of comedians um, do the sort of more commercial kind of stuff. But I think yeah, when you're making people actually think about their own lives and Mm. the way they interact with each other, then yeah, I think that's much more powerful. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to. I think we are every all the comedians now are kind of we're sort of like, what, when do we do put on that tour that we were going to do yeah. on night? Yeah, of course. Do we do it at the end of this year or? And I think most of us are saying yeah. 2021. Um, because it's just too dodge. Like, it's just too dodgy to just think like, oh yeah, December will be fine. Because I remember when we were approaching the fringe, and the fringe were like, <laughs> yeah, 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 no, we'll still be on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold off on that and then just, um, yeah, for now we're, we're doing a podcast series and so we'll start that at some point. And then obviously the book is going to be pitched in September. Yeah. So it sounds really good. Up. It sounds it really good. So I'm sure it will. It will. Definitely. Sets the guy with no experience in publishing. Yeah, it'll be um, fine. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be great. <laughs> Books well, are easy. Yeah. <laughs> Giles has been like my... My, my guru in this because like yeah I remember at the very beginning so I, <laughs> of lockdown me I think I'd message you Charles being like I might do a book you know <laughs> I might write this I don't know I just feel like I should be doing I'm gonna do a book and Charles being like yeah you should do a book do a book that'd be great and then I actually what actually happened was I wrote because I mean I, my my parents are authors my my they were originally children's authors my dad Lauren Sanholt is a you know really successful yeah your author. dad's books are great mm. and um he's doing a new crime series at the minute which is um doing really well just being optioned by world productions for tv um so we're, we're hoping that will kind of come through and i was like okay i know i don't really want to do a fiction in that way i think i want to do like a self-development type thing so then i wrote the framework for this book called a winner's guide to losing which i think i still will do at some point but it felt weird to me as to why I would need, it felt like I needed to explain why I needed to write that book in the first place. And the reason why I needed to write that book yeah. is of course going through mm. coercive control. But I also was like, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to write that book. And then I, um, I pitched it to five literary agents and got an offer and then was doing a podcast with Sam Delaney um, and he was like, oh, um, send me your pitch. Um, I'll send it to some people. And I was kind of like, oh, whatever. This was just a bit, I just was doing it to pass the time. 
when I say doing it twice the time, it was 30,000 words and I worked really hard on it. Um, And he pitched it and then his wife got in touch with me, um, Anna Polite. She's absolutely, she's from AMP Literary and she's like a women's non-fiction agency. I mean, it couldn't have been more perfect. Former director of Faber, like, and it just all kind of slotted into place. And then I had a Zoom meeting with her and she said, "Um, so what other ideas have you got? And I was like, well, I kind of, I mean, I was doing the show and then I told her about it and she was like, yeah, do that one. And I was like, yeah, but, yeah, but I've just done, (laughs) yeah, but there's 30,000 words of this one. (laughs) This one's really good. Let's do this one. (laughs) And she was right. Like she's completely right. And she's been incredible because I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. I think most of us have no idea anyway, but like I was sitting there being like, I don't know. I mean, at first, I remember thinking, Giles, I messaged you being like, please help me. Do all the words in every chapter <laughs> need to be the same, like like same length. Do all the chapters need to be the same length, Giles, because I can't do this. I can't work it out. One chapter is like eight pages and one is 12. <laughs> Giles is like, just write the book. And I was like, yeah, yeah but, but I can't count. If it's 80,000 words, then how many words is it? I've got, I mean, I've got my calculator. And he was like, Manny, just write the book. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's what I've done. We're we're only obviously at pitch stages now, but it's that's nice. Whole, sometimes that's the hardest bit, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah. you know you've done amazing. So I know, and that, and it will happen. It will. I'm saying it here now. <laughs> Manifesting it. In September. <laughs> yeah. The book deal. Um, but what led you to like performing and comedy? Were you always into it as a as a kid? Yeah. You're a bit of a show off. Yeah. My nickname was Parrot. I used to parrot people. Okay. I think I lost quite a lot of my of friends from my mum and dad because I was always like anyone would come in the house just and I would piss. just <laughs> I would just rip the piss out of them. I just mimic their. I loved it. Like I loved. I remember like we've got American cousins and then they would come in and I would just love them. To, I would only like like I would just do all their voices and then like the Irish side. As soon as they came, I could do all their voices. Um, that was just my thing and then I remember watching the thing that kind of I think I was about 11 years old and I watched I turned on the tv and I saw this program and I was like that is what I want to do and it was smack the pony yeah yeah, and seeing like three women up there writing their own stuff doing their own like like clever but just ridiculous sketches and and I was like, oh, we can do. It. And it's just so yeah. representation in this industry is just so vital because yeah. that for me at 11, I was like, that's it. If I hadn't have seen that, I would think because I was slightly out of the age of like Victoria Wood and like that wasn't really my age. But Smack the Pony, I remember being like, wow, because it was all kind of Mr. Bean and like, uh, what yeah, else yeah. was there? It was all that kind of only falls and all a bit, but like all of that sort of it's very male heavy male dominated industry and then seeing this program i was like oh we can do it um so that that was the kind of turning point for me and then um yeah i just didn't really i was like well how how do you do that like what (laughs) what is the subject that you study to do that i don't really understand and obviously i i grew up in this like world of imagination my mum and dad used to test their stories out on us and you know, I'm a twin, so my twin and I would be like, you know, like we do all these big, like as kids do, but like all these shows and, um, you know, just, yeah, we just had an incredible childhood. And 
and then when I I, ju- I just I just kept going and this is what I want to do I want to do some kind of acting and but when I was in sick form I was I didn't I had quite low self-esteem and I thought I'm not I don't think I'm good enough to get into one of these drama schools it seems too much for me and, I, and so I ended up going to Birmingham uni and hating it <laughs> absolutely hating it and I did about six months and dropped out and then I was like well it's just so funny, isn't it? When you're like 17, 18, you think like one yeah, slight yeah. mistake is like the rest of your life. You know, you're like, well, that's my life, Dan. Well, that's the end of it, really. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and then going, well, I might as well, it was my dad. My dad is like a guru. My dad is like the wisest man ever. He is so wise, like, he's just incredible. And he, you know, we went walking up on these cliffs and he said like, what is it you want to do? We talked it through and my mum kind of like it's a really like sort of logical one and um and then we worked out well okay we'll try go to I'll try and get into drama school and then I did I got into drama I got into a couple of drama schools straight away and I went to Alra the Academy of Live and Recorded Arts which is where Miranda Hart went Bridget Christie went Susie yeah. Ruffell who I know you had on she went um so I know Susie from drama school and uh, yeah it was it was great it was like the best three years ever and um, then we were sort of like, oh shit, now what? I've done this, now what? Mm. How do I do something about the polling? But when I was in my third year, I wrote my first one woman show. I thought that as a comedian, you did, I didn't realize that you had, you did like five minute spots mm. and then 10 minute spots and then 20. I thought you just, <laughs> just did an there. hour. So I just did an hour. <laughs> I thought you did an hour, you went to the canal cafe and then you did a month. In Edinburgh, that, that, that's what I did because I thought that's what you did. And then did. the TV, and then the TV deal would come. And then yeah. the TV comes, and then the radio <laughs> yeah. four, like whatever. I just thought that's what you did. So I did do that. That's literally what I did. I would be writing a show, doing it, doing the fringe, and I was doing big wow. venues. I was doing Gilded Balloon every straight away. I was doing Gilded Balloon, um, and I'm like queen of hustle. I just don't stop. So any slight little connect I can get, that got me straight into Radio Four. Then I got my Radio Four show. Then I off the back of that I literally met someone and I was working with Warner did that then I was writing for ITV so I was doing all of that kind of stuff alongside all of mine and then and then I was kind of like shit I need this to be financially viable don't know how (laughs) that's like the struggle isn't it that we have where we're like yeah constant it is I mean I'm in between things are going really well but um so then anyway I set up an academy in King's Cross so I launched my own uh, academy, doing workshops and masterclasses in screenwriting, acting, yeah. confidence. Um, and it, just before lockdown, I was actually really <laughs> successful. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I started doing corporate masterclasses, basically, in confidence building. So I did Facebook. I did. I was the speaker for the Inter- International Women's Day for The Guardian. Um, I did Albright. So it was just, and it will again, but I just was was finding that nice niche where you're like, oh shit, I can charge six, mm. seven hundred pounds for an hour to do all of this, mm. almost like TED Talk, but funny, with some improv, all this stuff yeah. I've trained in for 10 years. Mm. And I remember saying it to, to a friend who's not an actor and she was like, oh my God, I can't believe you're charging that much an hour. I'm like, yeah, but exactly. that's also 10 years worth of experience. Yeah. So actually, I know, and also that may be the, only one yeah. of only two jobs I get this month. So don't sit there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I might only work for an hour this month. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
so that's in itself i think it, this game mm. is very much like how do i amalgamate as many skills as i've got and put them together we were talking about this jazz weren't we yeah like, you have yeah, absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah but you, you yeah, hit you on do, it there yeah. with the word hustle though well, hustle is such a good way of describing whatever it is we all do and yeah. trying to get by there's a real balance between like i've got to pay the bills mm-hmm. and got to get by but i also want to do what i want to do and try and you can't really have one of each you've really got to sort of balance it up but Hustle is a good way of hustle and persistence. This comes up in the pod a lot. Persistence, being persistent, keeping going, keep hustling, seems to be the common theme for a lot of successful performers. Yeah, and you can't just do one thing, can you? That's the thing. No. You, you have to. No. You know, we. I mean, all three of us do. We don't all just do one creative pursuit. No. We do lots of different things, and we have to. Each of those probably um, work with. The others if you know what i mean yeah and also keep i think keep checking in yeah. with yourself because this is one of those games where you where you keep where you keep going and you know you kind of you've got to check in with yourself mm. and be like am i okay because no one else when i say no one else gives a shit i don't mean that in a negative way like no one cares about you but i mean no one else is gonna check in on you the amount that you need to be checked in like it, like you know several times a day like am i okay and one of the big things that i do is I call out how I, I literally call out how I am feeling. So, you know, when moving here and like all of that, so I'll be like, That's oh God, great. I'm anxious. Oh, I'm That's feeling great, anxious. That's great because you're sort of saying it. <laughs> we had uh, Fiona Murden on, who's a psychologist, and there's some, there is something about when you, Giles mm-hmm. might be able to describe it better. When you say something out loud, it sort of, it validates it, doesn't it? And there's, mm. But there's a physiological thing in your mm. brain that it actually validates it by saying out loud. So saying your feelings out loud like that, I think really helps you accept it and then deal with it that's brilliant I'm, i might start doing that i mean my mm. wife and how are we all feeling right now i mean i'm, I'm feeling, feeling relaxed i'm feeling relaxed and i'm, I'm sort of shouting <laughs> i'm feeling relaxed i'm feeling and good I'm feeling yeah. good i'm feeling content yes. i'm feeling hungry <laughs> <laughs> i'm thinking about the gym should i go I'm Maybe it's kind of sunny. After my run. Maybe I'll sit Which in the garden. Which was very good. <laughs> now I'm feeling guilty because you've gone for a run and I haven't. Me too. Oh, I'm now feeling. I'm now feeling guilty, guilty that you and, guys are feeling um, guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Go forever. See, you could just do this like all day. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that's my thing. Cool. And also, so I always I have like a ritual. So I have here, I have morning pages where I write three pages and it, and I don't think about it, free writing in the morning. And then I'll try and medicate if I can. I, sh- I need to get back into, oh, I hate that. I need and I should, I hate that. I say in, in my book that I should is a little bitch. I should is that bitch auntie at the Christmas table who's <laughs> yeah. like, when I was your age or if I were you, one of the worst yeah. phrases ever, yeah. if I were you, you're not. So just yeah, stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, I hate that. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I I will meditate and just there's a um, meditation called the six phase meditation. Because for me, I do my thoughts are so active and so loud that sometimes I just to start my day if, in the morning, I'm like, I find it very difficult just to sit with my thoughts for 20 minutes. So I will do a meditation called the six phase meditation, um, which I get on an app called Omvana. Obviously everything's on a bloody app these days, but um, that is a kind of, it's like a um, Vishen Lekhiani is the guy behind it. And he, it's like a, 
it's a, what he calls it a meditation hack. And it's basically like he worked in, I think it was computer programming or technology or something. And he was basically like, what's the quickest way that we can <laughs> visualize, manifest and meditate in the space of 20 minutes? And this is it. And it's like a six phase. And I love doing that because yeah. you go, it's 20 minutes and I've done it. Yeah. Um, it's like I'd rather do a gym class than just go to the gym because yeah. I'm like, 45 minutes, done, tick it off. Yeah. Tick it off the list. <laughs> um, and then at the end of the day, I do gratitudes. I write down some gratitudes. That's come up on the podcast before. Yeah, it's so important to do that. Mm. We've been doing that around the dinner. Yeah, we do it around the dinner table with nice. the Nice. That's lovely. We call nice. it the good, the bad and the gratitude. Oh, um, I love that. So, yeah, so we do a good thing that happened, That's a bad really nice. thing that happened, and then what we're grateful for. Oh, I love that. So yeah, and the, it's, and actually it's really really good because the kids, you know, obviously um, their responses are normally quite hilarious. But um, it is good though for us all to do it as a family. I think. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's a lovely thing to do. Yeah, it's so important. I think journal. I think actually one of the main things that kind of got got me out of um, when I was sort of going through this. Um, well, I, I call it like that. You know, when you're a phoenix, when you're just yeah. but you're not you're not quite risen yet. You know, when you when you've gone through. Yeah one of these relationships or one of these traumatic times, these quantum moments in your life where you're faced with a decision that you just don't know how, what is going to happen. And actually, ultimately, we need these quantum moments in our lives. And when you rise, you've got that choice. It's one of those like kind of unique times in life where you're like, I've got that choice to rise and which direction do I now fly in? Mm. And I remember one of the big things that helped me kind of decide which direction to fly in was journaling and to like free write and just to go um i don't know and you and like just to a, a realization really that no one is ever going to be healed we're yeah. not there is no end of healing you don't like meet the big guy a big guy <laughs> at the end of your road and he's like you're done and you're like yes <laughs> wicked i knew i'd get here <laughs> yeah yeah like it's, it's a continued thing you just keep going with it that's what i'm saying about the therapy like this is sort of belief I, I spoke to a friend yesterday and i said like i think i might go back into therapy while i'm here and she's like oh my god why yeah oh no are you yeah okay? it does it's yeah oh you're okay you're like yeah I, I, if you told me i would be like checking in on you like i'd be whatsapping you saying you are you okay today maddie you're all right <laughs> yeah I'm wicked yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> if anything I'm better than I am it's clearly I've yeah. got a bit of extra money haven't I like... <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh she's doing fine she can afford CBT she's she's doing alright <laughs> but yeah no but we do go to that don't we we do sort of suddenly think oh no there must be something wrong as opposed yeah. to you're doing it for you know because you're actually sometimes in a good place and actually being mm. in a good place you sometimes it's good to that's stop so, that's true to open yeah. up more I mean I think as well I don't I haven't mentioned this yet but I'm doing <laughs> seem to be doing like a triple pronged attack with how to train your psychopath but we're at, i'm actually working with this guy called joe roberts who's a brilliant filmmaker i did a short called kelly that was nominated oh it's for fantastic Thanks, loved joe. it um, no no it is he, it's brilliant Have thank you, you. I'll, I'll send you a link jim because it's great it's cool so okay good. thank you and then um, we we co-wrote that together and his directing style is just brilliant like he is just so it's very mike lee it's super understated which i love that very subtle and um, we've we've worked together for years, and um, basically he took he had there was like a sort of online Palm Springs um, festival, and they would they we got some really lovely responses and stuff. Mm. And uh, he was like, yeah, so I'm sort of thinking like we should be working on something. This is kind of the beginning of lockdown. And then I started talking to him about my 
the book and the, sh- the show of the book of the show. Yeah, the book of the show. And uh, he was like, "Great, let's do it as a script." So now we've just finished the pilot of that. <laughs> wow, amazing. amazing! Which is good. So that's going to go off. We've just finished second draft of that, and we're just putting together the pitch pack. Um, so that will go out within the next kind of couple of weeks to to pitch that for TV. Um, which is really exciting. And it's actually one of, it's actually probably the first thing I've ever co-written where I feel like, God, this is a bloody good dynamic, mm. which you, I don't find that very often. Mm. Do you not, do you not normally do? Cause I'm a, I'm a real collaborator. I like collaborating. Do you find no, collaboration a little bit more difficult? I find it quite daunting. Actually. I find the, I think that's this again, links to codependency. I feel like I'm one of those people who just goes, oh, I'll just do it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you know, yeah. mm. you know, like it, when your mum used to be like, right can someone do the washing up and then there would be a beat of like three seconds and she's like oh do you know what i'll just do it and you're like we, ha- we haven't even no one's made that <laughs> yeah and see giles you do that but i'd go no 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 i'm doing it yeah. and then i'd jump up see i'm that person so i think when it comes to collaborating with stuff i would end up taking the lion's share and then that person would then feel guilty because they'd be like well i'm not doing enough yeah but actually with joe it's just been unreal it's been like absolutely beautiful like i would write because it's essentially my story, but he was very good at the beginning of, at saying like, you don't need therapy. This is not a therapy. This is not the exercise of this. And Ben said this too, like, you do not want this to look like you are venting or ha- mm. this is your version of therapy. Because I know that some comedians are like, ha ha ha, being on stage is therapy. Mm. But I think that you've got to have like that personal, that private hat and that professional hat. And if you mix the two, even if you are work, of course, we all work as creators. We work from what our lives, but that's got to be your stimulus. And then even like putting a different character name on it mm. helps you to be like, oh, I'm talking about Zoe in this. Zoe's not me. I f- I'm feeding her through me, but she's not me. Mm. You, have um, to want to, you have to find a way to connect it to the audience and make it relatable. And that isn't you just yeah. yelling at them. They ha- you yeah. have to think about them in the process as much as you do yourself. Which I think is why, at the beginning, hecklers were getting to me because I felt like it was a personal attack on me yeah, and my story. Yeah. Mm. Whereas when I began to process this whole idea that actually it's not me, I am, even though I'm not doing character anymore, I'm talking as a character, but it's a heightened version of me. Yeah. Or in my head, it's this Zoe character who's the protagonist in my in the script, in the book, it's the same thing. I talk personally, but in my mind, I don't. Um, you get it. You need that wall of protection, yeah. and that's what that is. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite deep, isn't it? That's such a beautiful little beat, Charles. It's lovely. Mm. Well, <laughs> the thing is, Maddie, we normally at the end of the podcast ask our guests for their advice on sort of blank moments or sort of tough moments, but in the last 10 minutes you've actually given doled out so much genuinely useful physical advice that people can do i feel like i don't need to ask that question you've done it for us i think it's also understand that like i could tell you a little quick story which is in the fringe um so i went i went to the fringe and i thought i think it was like my second or my third year or something and i got a call i'd just been able to afford well actually i was getting sponsored by a company and i'd got a pr and it was my first pr and i was like my god this is so exciting but my pr was re- as a lot of prs are was like really cold really to the point i'm very busy and i don't have time for you and i'd be like yes but well, i'm paying for nothing you know <laughs> and um let's say he called me and said, uh, right, uh, you've got an interview with The Guardian. 
And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And this is my first bit of national press. So I was like, oh, oh, that's good. Yeah, it's it's a collaborative piece. It's, uh, they're doing um, a thing on, I think it's like how to access certain areas of the industry, jobs and whatever. And they want you to talk about how to be a stand-up comedian. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not a stand-up comedian. He's like, what do you mean? And I went, well, I'm a character comedian. I'm not stand I don't do stand-up. It's different. He was like, it's not, are you, are you a comedian? Yeah, but I'm, then they'll call you at two. Put the phone down. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Okay, so I thought, okay. And I, and I called my dad as, as I do in tricky situations. He's like, what are you talking about? Just do the interview. Like, it's the Guardian. It's the loveliest audience. Hmm. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I did, so I did it and it was a really nice little thing. And it was only about a couple of paragraphs. And um, then it came out and I was like, oh, really proud of myself actually I'm really proud this like secured this first little bit of national I think I I talked well and the interview just came it came out really nicely and then I sent it off to loads of people and I was just about to go in and do a show actually and um I did what you should never do ever which is read comments and I was like yeah but it's the guardian like is it, they're all going to be like oh god she she sounds if at all if they're going to talk about me at all they're going to be like she sounds so I started scrolling <laughs> and one of them, I wish I could just wait. If you give me like literally a few seconds, I just yeah, go want find to it. Find, find it. it. Oh, amazing! <laughs> um, we need some sort of j- little jingle music, hopefully. <laughs> like, kind of, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, okay, here it is. You got it. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, okay, so <laughs> there are some comments. Okay, I'm going to read them. So I turned it to a lot of people. A lot of people and i was like look i'm so proud of myself i've got this few minutes now like maddie you're gonna go on in about 10 minutes is that all right yeah yeah fine 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 what are the numbers numbers are looking good it's about three quarters full oh my god people must spread this interview because of course they didn't read the interview they got it so i scrolled down the first one was like this um would it really have harmed you to speak to a professional stand-up comedian rather than an actress looking for a way in oh my god you would certainly have got more insight into the trials and tribulations of choosing a career in stand-up comedy I, this is my favorite one. I am a comedian. <laughs> the person you interviewed is definitely an actress just filling the void of being unemployed by doing her own comedy show once every few years. This was my third in a row. I have never heard of this girl. And on Facebook, I only have 11 mutual friends with her. <laughs> um, what, like there's some sort of arbitrary number? If we've got 25 though, then she's a comedian. <laughs> I usually have about a hundred mutual friends with oh. comics on Facebook because it's such <laughs> okay. a small business. It really gives no insight, etc., etc. Next week we look at a, next week we look at uh, how to become a plumber by interviewing someone who works in the catering industry. Fucking hell! Blah blah blah. Um, yeah. So this anyway. So this went on, and I was just about to go on stage, and I was like, Oh, oh my god, this was, and I just. I was, I was at, like literally shaking, going, oh my God, I shouldn't have done it. And you know, this is imposter syndrome yeah. times yeah, 5,000. Yeah. Yeah. And now I've got to do an hour show in front of like however many people. And I'm like, <laughs> and needless to say, the show was awful. I went upstairs, I went to the, um, to the loft, the, the like bar at the top of the Gilded Balloon after the show. And I was like, oh my God, this is, I feel, I felt like everyone was looking at me being like, God, how embarrassed, like why have they interviewed her? And and I, and I started looking at flights. I was like, I was going to eat what my plan was to, because I was only a few days, you know, about 10 days into the run or something. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm not going to give the Gilded Balloon a choice. I'm just going to cancel. 
and I'm going to go and I'm going to pack my stuff. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I don't. And I absolutely like my, and I know it may, maybe this is like some of your listeners, they'll be like, oh God, look, it's just not that bad. But honestly, it's so heightened in Edinburgh yeah. already. And you are so exposed all of the time that I was like, this was just too much for me. I think now, you know, I would probably not, I don't want to say better at dealing with it because there's no really better way, mm. but I think I would be able to process it now better and um anyway and i was like looking at flights and i'm gonna attempt to do a scottish accent and this this woman came up to me who was actually wendy wayson um the brilliant comedian and uh she's like <laughs> she's like are you okay and that was that was awful wait scottish so scottish is one of the ones i can't do can i make her Irish? wait <laughs> wait that sounded pretty good. No, no way. I used to live with a, a Scottish. Okay, so she's like, um, "Maddie, you okay?" And I was like, um, "Yeah, no, I just." And I told her what happened. She's like, uh, "She started talking." She was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, that's fine." I mean, that like we we've all had those moments, and I was like, "No, no, no, it's not. It's not the same." And then she's like, "Maddie, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret." And I was like, "What?" And she's like, "We are all." fucking winging it we've not got a fucking clue what we're doing and i was like really she's like i i've got a fucking clue i come over here and then she calls over this guy she's like do you know what you're doing he's like what do you mean in life do you know what you're doing? i haven't got a fucking clue come over here he's pr hey do you know what you... and it was and we started calling over and it was this incredible moment where we had like prs actors some punters who were in there and we had about 15 people just being like haven't got a fucking clue we are all winging it like no one so this pretense that everyone's got their shit together is just that it's a pretense understand that no one has a fucking clue what they're doing and then you're all right yeah. and then you realize yeah it is it is i mean i see something i say to people all the time i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if i did know what i was doing i don't think i'd know what i was doing do you know what i mean like mm. i don't no but if you did know what you were doing you've you wouldn't be doing what you're doing any better. What you're doing, you're yeah. Doing what you're doing. That's just yeah. Of course, it's just you being um, you. And I, <laughs> I mean, there's that famous bit, isn't there, in the in the um, art of happiness at the beginning, where the guy asks the Dalai Lama about um, something about like, oh, this woman and she's got really unhealthy, you know, she habits and whatever, and how does she get out of them? And she's, you know, whatever. And he just looked at her in that like stupid, still calm way that he does, and just started laughing. And he was like. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I love that. The Dalai Lama doesn't even know what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? If the Dalai Lama doesn't yeah. know, then we're, 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 <laughs> we're going to be all right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, well, thanks, guys. Thank well, you. No. <laughs> <laughs> this has been brilliant. You can cancel that CBT now. <laughs> yeah, wicked. Wicked. <laughs> Oh, really Maddie, it's been an absolute treat to talk to you. Thank you so much for being on Black Podcast. And Thank um, you. Yeah, we will catch up in the real world very soon. Yeah, I can't wait. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry I didn't record the first bit. <laughs> it's our fault for not that saying was the best bit as well, but never mind. It's completely our fault. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's been really fun. Really appreciate talking to you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Pleasure. Maddie. There you go. 
uh, Madiano on the Black Podcast. I'm just going to give listeners a bit of insight into how we do these top and tails. Is one of us, we both stare at each other, waiting for the other person to talk, and then one of us will do a thumbs up to the other person. Um, if we didn't do that, we'd have the sting play and there'd just be silence for minutes. Yeah. Well, we've come a new way of... To, to, to be more efficient, I've got this piece of kit now that we can play the stings mm. on. And so we record the stings the live. The live, yeah. And then I just press the button, press the trigger, and it plays the sting. And then one of us comes in and it's, uh, it's like a, another sort of rush of roulette as to who's Adds a bit of jeopardy first. to it. Adds a bit of live yeah. performance to it, which is always nice. Uh, but mm. there you go, a little insight to the listeners as to the magic. Well, and also a bit of winging it, which yes. we obviously finished the Yes, which is so on. true. And it's uh, that story about uh, Maddie being in the, in the loft bar um, mm. and <laughs> everyone doing their own experience of, of winging it is fantastic. And it's very... It's very kind of um, reassuring, I think, because we all feel like yeah, that. Definitely. But to to see that there are even these incredibly successful and famous people feeling the same way in all walks of life, be it they're a performer or, mm. or a bus driver or whatever, everyone feels like they're winging it to extents. And I think that can help us all feel a little bit closer to each other and less alone in a way, because yeah. uh, you know, in, in whatever we're doing. So that was a really nice anecdote to end the pod on. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, and thanks, Maddie, for being on. It was um, a real treat to sit down with you. Another wonderful now. guest. How lucky are we to have all these, we are very these great lucky. people on? We are very lucky. Thank you, Maddie, uh, indeed. And thank you to all our listeners, especially those who tweeted that we mentioned in the first part. Of course, if you're enjoying these pods and you want to uh, tweet us and let us know what your favourite episode was or any takeaway from any of the episodes, you can do. Our Twitter handle is... And we're also on Instagram and Facebook as well, if you prefer those platforms. And our handle, conveniently, is the exact same, Giles. It is. At There you go. And also we have an email address, um, if anyone... (laughs) Please send us an email. Uh, We'd love to receive even one. Our email address (laughs) is... The blank podcast 2018 at gmail.com. Dating ourselves, very much dating ourselves with that uh, email address. Very much. Well, it's quite nice because we think, oh, that's when we started, 2018. Yeah, almost two so, years you know, ago. I think our first pod was October 2018, I think. So we're coming up to a two year yeah, anniversary. John Ronson was the first episode. Good Do go back and listen to it. That hasn't no, dated. Well, none of them. Talking about still very relevant. Actually, hit, weirdly, his has gone full circle, actually, and it's become almost more relevant. Yes. Than when we record, which I think actually says yeah. less about the brilliance of John Ronson, as brilliant he is, and more about the, the downfall of society in the last two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But yes, do go back and listen to our back catalogue. There are over 80 episodes to listen Please to. Please do. And of, of course, let us know anything you're enjoying from them. If you're not enjoying them, delete your Twitter account and do not contact us. <laughs> um, anyway, Charles, have a look, have a good week. I look forward to uh, seeing you, you again next week with another guest. And to our listeners, yes. have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on the Blank Podcast.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is a Blast Box Media Podcast.